This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. All right, all right, all right. Welcome back to the Misfit Nation. We have all gone through a roller coaster of insanity over the last year plus. We have had all kinds of things going on, from fighting about chicken sandwiches, wildfires ranging in California, and again now, then this thing called COVID swarmed in like the Luftwaffe in World War II. This was followed by murder hornets. An entire year that felt like Jumanji. Those of us who have stood tall through it have made an incredible journey forward in our lives. It is our hope here at the Misfit Nation that you are productive in your space, your community, your city. We believe different starts at home and is born of a committed mindset to be better than those who were here before us. So on the topic of moving forward and community, this is something that our next guest has done for over two decades. He has mentored countless people to be better. He has also taken an awesome journey to find out about his family. So without further ado, let's get Sam Tiara, author, educator, and mentor on here. That's a, that's a positive thing. One thing that I've often shared at uh, conferences and when I speak is, uh, you know, with regards to emerging out of COVID, and I often say that uh, there's a need for us to care. What I mean by care is uh, collaborate, adaptability, resilience, and empathy. Uh, I think that those are four words that are actually really critical because we need to collaborate with each other. I mean, you're not in it by yourself. And, you know, look around you and see who are the people around you and and is there a way to collaborate to gain more substance with regards to what you want to do. Adaptability is, you know, we've had to switch and flip on a dime and uh, sometimes we have to pivot, but uh, embracing adaptability means you're agile. Resilience means understanding we're not in this as a hundred meter dash. This isn't over tomorrow, next week, next month. How do you build resilience in so that you can actually see this like a marathon and get through it? And the last one is empathy. Uh, you know what? We need to show care and compassion uh, to each other because you never know what people are going through. Some people are struggling through the pandemic and they have constantly and others are doing better. But equally at the same time, we have to show empathy to each other. Oh, exactly. I, I agree wholeheartedly. And I love that uh, acronym there, the CARE acronym. And last mm-hmm. year that, that actually put that into a, into a spotlight, I believe. Yeah, uh, getting getting all these governments to actually start collaborating and not thinking just internally, but thinking of the global picture. If you look at us or Canada or say yeah. Great Britain or any of the other developed nations, yeah. while we were developing uh, what we believe is the vaccine that'll stop this thing and let us live our lives fully, yeah. nations within Africa that didn't have that kind of means, so those nations had to chip in together and push forward to try to help Africa open up again. Oh, and that's yeah. where that's a part of that collaborative thing and adaptability on the fly. And that's a beautiful thing. Yeah. No. So, yeah, it's an acronym that I think uh, when I mention it, people are like, actually, that really resonates. So, yeah. But I really appreciate the work you're doing. And uh, 
really supporting and guiding the uh, veterans, uh, you know, it's amazing because oftentimes there's a lifestyle and a life that these um, soldiers know about, but it's like, okay, but what's after? And here's what you're doing is providing that unveiling of the window to say, here's what possibilities and opportunities are available to you. And that's uh, admirable what you're doing. I appreciate that. And I'm, I think I'm doing just a little part to try to get some of their stories out there and then bring guests like yourself in that can show them ways to uh, see the global picture and make themselves mm -hmm. find their brand, find their personal meaning and, and move forward. Yeah. Well, and, and Rich, I mean, to that point, I mean, I've had about 5,000 conversations to date with individuals, uh, you know, and they could be high school students, uh, post-secondary recent grads to senior professionals. And it's always fascinating because oftentimes, especially in the military, we define ourselves by a rank or we define ourselves as what in the, in the corporate world, but really it's who are you? In other words, by understanding who you are, it allows you to then move forward to what you want to do. And anybody who's, uh, you know, getting out of military service, I mean, now they're starting to think about, yeah, well, what is the next step? And I've been able to work with a number of entrepreneurs and startups to, to help them start visioning a, an idea of how to, you know, build or grow and uh, how to start off this business. And I think one of the key things that people miss, and I think it's the most integral part of entrepreneurship, besides knowing how to spell entrepreneurship, but uh, that's beside the point, um, is value proposition. In other words, what is it that makes your business unique? Because, you know, why would I come to you and not someone else? And value proposition is what people miss, because when I ask them that question, and I know what the answer uh, potentially is going to be, People say, I'm going to provide the best customer service. I'm like, that's not a value proposition. That's what you have to present. Uh, but why would I come to you? And I remember working with someone who's a digital marketer, like she does logos for people. So we started talking. I said, what's your value proposition? She goes, I designed logos. And I said, okay, but why would I come to you? And she goes, well, you know, I really, you know, care about my clients and I put a lot of work and effort. And I said, yeah, but so does everybody else. But what makes you unique? And we sat down and we started peeling away that onion. And next thing you know, what we came up with is her value proposition is that she builds a narrative for the individual, their business, and then brings them together. So in other words, the person is the business. And I'm in, a little bit later today at 1230 in two, in two and a half hours, I'm going to be speaking to students about this idea as well, that you know, the whole idea of this value proposition is actually really important because, you know, you have to come up with something innovative and creative as opposed to I do logos. Well, great, but so does everybody else. So, you know, that making that unique and distinct piece. So it's about helping the individual realize, you know, who they are and maybe what are your strengths and what direction can you go? And once we know that that piece, then it's like, but okay, now let's find your uniqueness let's find that piece that you know allows you to then wholeheartedly go into this and create such a, a a you know your your business becomes you definitely and uh just yesterday i i put out feelers to find out who my peers in the podcast world have used for their logos and, mm -hmm. and then you bring something like you read my mind that's pretty awesome <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> yeah, no, and it's it. I mean, fortunately, I'm surrounded by greatness. I've, I'm surrounded by digital marketers and people I've mentored and coached, and I've never gone in to say, well, what's in it for me? But then next thing you know, I'm like, uh, by the way, is anyone comfortable with, you know, building like a website, a simple website? All of a sudden, I've got people, you know, coming in and they're like, yeah, but I'm not charging you. I'm like, no, no, let's figure something out that's equitable or fair. I'm not here to take advantage of people. But I've got a couple of people who I've really mentored and coached and they're like, OK, you do woodworking, right? And I said, yeah. And they said, OK, how about if we exchange building a website for one of your small tables? I'm like, OK, we'll barter that way then. So that's what that, that works out in that sense. But, uh, you know, yeah, when you do it, it's it's great. How can I, so how can I help uh, you there, Rich? I think uh, what, you're, what you just said was awesome. How do, how do I push my, uh, my audience to get their personal brand and their presence out there? Yeah. That's, a, that's one great thing on there. That If, if you have uh, tips and tricks on that one, that'd be yeah. great to share. Well, well, and one of the things that I often share with people, and this is something that I apply to myself, and I call it the five core elements, in other words, if you were to look at yourself, what are five things that you are not willing to compromise? So think of it this way. For me, servant leadership, story sharing, activator, igniter, champion enabler, and community do-gooder. So those are five things. So I've, I'm working on about 12 projects right now, and all 12 hit five out of five. Normally, what we do is we would just basically say, you know, uh, I th after you, let's say, leave the service or you're graduating from university, you're like, and you grasp at something that's close by because you think that's what it is. Oftentimes, what I say is you haven't really taken that time and effort to come up with the things that make up who you are. So in other words, let's put the horse before the cart and not the cart before the horse. Uh, so the idea is, you know, what are you not willing to compromise that really becomes your foundation? And then once you have those five things, you're now able to reflect on the present status that you have. Does it hit two out of three, three out of three? How do I get to five out of five? And uh, the, I also give them the ideas of how do you come up with the five core elements piece? And the way I describe it is, if you want to build a house, you need a solid foundation. To build a life, you need a solid foundation. And that's really what we're trying to do is build this solid foundation. This is why oftentimes I talk about goals versus intentions, because oftentimes in society, we're told what's your goal, you know, and you strive towards a goal. But how do you know you're on the right train? And the idea is that when an opportunity emerges, goals are very absolute. In other words, you think to yourself, OK, let's say writing emerged in my pathway. Goal, uh, writing was never a goal of mine. So today I would not be a writer. But instead of focusing on the goal, I focused on the five things that really mattered to me. And all of a sudden, I'm like, I actually have to be a writer. I have to write books now because of the fact that it hits five out of five. So this is where I find goals are very absolute. And, you know, it's like a it's binary. It's either yes or no. An opportunity emerges. Do I give up the goal or do I give up the opportunity? Whereas with intentions, you have this way of saying, actually, this hits four out of five. And. Maybe it is something I need to try, and how do I go down this pathway? So those are some of the things that I give as tips. I don't just, and this is to your point, which I totally agree with, you don't just want to make them feel good and say, okay, you know, you need to do the five core elements, five, find the five things that make up your foundation. You have to provide the other part, which is 
how do I do this? And I give the tools and practical pieces on, you know, how to realize the five things that you're not willing to compromise. That's, that's really good stuff right there. Mm-hmm. And I think part of that also goes with them being able to tell their own personal story, how they got to where they are, uh, how to uh, articulate their journey. Yeah. Uh, so how do you tell your, your clients, your students, your friends, how do, how do you tell them to build and tell their stories? Because I'm a storyteller and uh, my first TEDx speech was on storytelling and I called it how to discover the extraordinary out of the ordinary. And the way I describe that is we're on autopilot. Our life is an autopilot and we're going down a journey and a pathway. But, you know, it's a routine and, you know, you walk the same trail, you uh, do the same thing when you get to the office. But uh, discovering the extraordinary in the ordinary was but let's stop for a moment and try to see if we can change it up a little bit. But how do we capture it and start making it into a story? And I came up with this concept. And as you know, Rich, I love acronyms. So my uh, <laughs> acronym for that one was CARPE, as in CARPE Diem. Okay. But CARPE is how you build stories. It, CARPE stands for Curiosity, Appreciation, Reflection, Perspectives, Experience. And what I mean by that is uh, curiosity is where you suddenly stop. and in other words, you've something has just basically stopped you and you start looking and thinking about something. Uh, for example, I talked about this in my TEDx speech. Like, you know, we've walked into office buildings or places and we see that wooden wedge door stop. Well, I'm going to make it extraordinary from ordinary because it's ordinary. Well, curiosity stopped me. And I remember at university uh, walking into the building And there was this doorstop holding a door open. And I thought, huh. So I stopped. And that was curiosity. Appreciation is appreciating that doorstop for more than what it is. Appreciation is where you suddenly look at either a situation, a person, or a thing. And you start, you know, seeing that there's more appreciation. There's something different about this. And the way that you add purpose and meaning to it is through reflection. And reflection is that deep thoughts and ideas of adding purpose and meaning. And perspectives means we all have perspectives and we add our perspectives into this mix. So for me, looking at the doorstop, I've curiosity stopped me. I've appreciated it for more than what it is as a doorstop. But what is it? I started reflecting and I built in my perspectives of my journey, uh, you know, going through career or playing in a military pipe band and all of that started, I started thinking about all of that. That's the perspectives. And it suddenly dawned on me that that doorstop represents the people who have held the door open for me so that I could become who I am and where I am today. It's an, it's in other words, that doorstop honors the people, but I never call the people around me doorstops. Uh, But that's an example. And then the experience is a really critical piece because experience is where we capture it, catalog it, and never forget about it. Because oftentimes these stories just evaporate into air because we've never captured it as an experience. And that's an idea of how we build our stories. That's an outstanding acronym. I wrote that whole thing down there as you were speaking. <laughs> Perfect. I, like to, I like to hear how people d- devise their stories. Uh, I was yep. given the hand method one time and now the carpe Carpe is actually a lot better than the hand ones. I can understand this one a lot better. <laughs> no, Rich. Rich, here's the problem. Now you're going to see a doorstop. You're going to stop and look at this doorstop. And people in the building are going to just stare at you going like, what, why is he not coming into the building? Why is he looking at a doorstop? 
<laughs> What's wrong with this guy? We have some mental issues. PTSD in today. Then you can. Uh, then that's when you could really wow them. Actually, one of the really important things that I would like to share with your audience. Um, I've I've done this so many times, and it relates to that extraordinary out of the ordinary. Is uh, I carry with me puzzle pieces, and. Um, what I do is I give people a single piece of a jigsaw puzzle and I say, okay, what can you do with one piece? And they look at it and they say, well, not much. It's one piece. And I said, exactly. So this is ordinary. This is what you feel like. You are that single piece of a jigsaw puzzle. You don't know where you fit in, but equally, you don't know the bigger picture. But right before your eyes, I'm going to transform this into extraordinary. And all of a sudden, they're sitting there with interest. And I say, if I give you a single piece of jigsaw puzzle, now, do you realize my puzzle is permanently incomplete without you? Do you realize how important you are to me? And suddenly, Rich, I see the transformation on their face because they suddenly realize, wow, like they're looking at it from one perspective. I've just given them another. And I've got I've given about 5,000 pieces in the world to remind people how important they are. I've got people who have told me, it's taped to the mirror. So every morning I wake up, it reminds me someone told me how important I am. It sits in little curio boxes or it's in backpacks traveling around the world or it's in wallets and they see me at events and then they show me that they still carry the puzzle piece. And I even had a conversation and this isn't the first time, but I had a conversation with a, a young woman probably about two weeks ago. And she was saying that, you know, she was going through the most difficult times in her life uh, she even contemplated suicide and uh, she just said, but every time I went to the darkest places, I saw that puzzle piece and it reminded me someone told me how important I am to them. And I said, no, like they and they basically said it helped to pick me up. So that's how powerful something as simple as and, uh, you know, a, a single piece of a jigsaw puzzle can have on an impact on someone. And even with the veterans that you have, like it's such a simple analogy, but such a powerful tool. That, that is a per perfect analogy right there. Mm -hmm. And we, we use puzzles in my work to try to get people to see how to link uh, intelligence and such like that. Yeah. And using the way you have to show that they are part of the greater good or the greater world. They're, they're, they're just a small cog in that piece, but they are important to everything. That's yeah. amazing. That's a yeah. really good one. Really good analogy right there. And that was actually going to be my next question to you. It looks like you're reading my mind here. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Rich. What would, oh, so that was it or you have something else? <laughs> that was my next question right there. And you, you took it right from me. It was good. <laughs> uh, there you go. So, Like-minded. Like-mindedness. Yes, sir. Uh, the one thing I, I really am interested about is your journey to India and trying to yeah. find your ancestral roots. Was that your first visit to India and uh were you yeah. you were born here in North America and then that was your first time going back? So here's the thing. I was born in England, raised oh. in Canada, and my parents come from Fiji and my oh, wow. grandfathers are from India. So, Rich, just think of it this way. People look at me and I visible minority and I look like I'm Indian. People come up and they say, what part of India are you from? And I'm like, actually, born in England, raised in Canada. And they're like, no, no, your parents, what part of India? And I said, actually, they're from Fiji, near Australia, oh. New Zealand. And they're like, are you Indian? And it's like, well, my grandparents come from India. So there's this identity piece that I think many people struggle with of trying to describe and understand who they are. So 
you know, my grandfather left India probably around 1905 and he hopped on a steamer ship. And back then it was like, he's from a landlocked part of India, gets to Calcutta and who knows how he did this. And actually he was on his way to Argentina and the boat eventually had stopped in Fiji. Now we don't know exactly what happened. Did, you know, maybe coming from a landlocked nation, he just sort of thought, you know, I've had enough of sea travel. This is it. I'm getting off here. Maybe, um, you know, he just looked around and he said, man, this place looks like paradise. It's beautiful. I think I want to get off here. Or, Rich, maybe he did the Columbus thing and said, oh, I guess we're in Argentina, you know, and uh, got off the boat. We don't know for sure. Um, but the idea is that, you know, then after that, my parents had moved to, to England where I was born and then to Canada. So, you know, it's this very complex piece. But one thing that was always missing was the ties back to our village in India. And I'm talking about the paternal, uh, you know, uh, my paternal side of the family. So I decided I wanted to go in search of my roots. I wanted to go in search of my ancestral place. And I had never been to India. So, you know, here you're, you've got somebody who's, I describe it as a foreigner going to a land that should not be foreign to them. And the reason I wanted to find this village was for two reasons. Number one, there's a thin thread that connects my entire life and family and extended family here in, in the world to this village in India. It's a very thin thread. And if it breaks because something happens to me, nobody's going to go find this village and it'll be lost forever. So that's one of the things that prompted me to do this is uh, the whole idea of I thrive in ambiguity and uncertainty. So all I had was a faded photograph, very little information. It's a search. It's a journey. And I thrive in that. I love that. Knowing full well that I may not find it. Well, the other part of the journey is, and the reason why is, when I was nine years old, my father had an industrial accident, became a paraplegic and never walked again. He's never been to India, really done a lot for us. I wanted to do this for him. So decided with my wife and I, we went to India for the first time for both of us. And it was an experience. I saw the, the grandiose, you know, Taj Mahal, the Golden Temple, and, you know, just some of the amazing structures of India. But I also was exposed to the poverty, the injustices. And, you know, you can't go to India without experiencing this. And it really resonates how the term tourist and traveler applies. My wife is a tourist. She wants to see things, but not experience. I want to experience. But the realization for me on this trip, and this is why it's called Lost and Found, Seeking the Past and Finding Myself. Seeking the past was my ancestral part. Finding myself was this aspect of trying to claim my identity. And how I claimed my identity is I had this euphoric moment because an Indian dish, there's an Indian dish called a tali, and that's a platter with segmented bowls in it. So, you know, I'm British, Canadian, Indian, and Fijian, and whoever I'm running with, that's who I am. If I'm with my Canadian friends, you're Canadian. If I'm with my, you know, Indian relatives, then you start uh, gravitating towards that Indian background. My realization is that instead of this whole idea of segmenting myself into these various cultural identities, 
I'm a rice dish in India called Kichri, which is a blend of flavors. It's, you know, you go to your fridge, you get, you know, you have rice and then you add vegetables and spices. And all of a sudden it's the equivalent of like an omelet. And it allowed me to now embrace my background and my culture to say, I'm all of those and I can be all of those. And then I'll share with you. And it's a, it's a bit of a spoiler alert. Did I find my village? Well, it was a difficult search. And, you know, we had uh, parts of it that, you know, just didn't materialize. It was the wrong village, the wrong place. Uh, but I went back to, you know, this town that I was told that the village was about five or six miles away from. And we started talking to people. Well, one person said, actually, the name of your village sounds familiar and it's up the road this way. Prior to this, you know, we never had a lot of support and help from people because they said, never heard of the village. I think you're mistaken. Why even go search for it? We drive up the road and there's an archway and there's this old man sitting right by this archway. He looks like he fell off a charm bracelet, actually. And, you know, we looked at him, we showed him this picture and he looked at this picture and he said, I don't know about the family or the house, but there's a guy in the back and he looks like so-and-so. This guy gets into our vehicle, drives us to a house. We drive up to a house. People come out and this, you know, we, they, we share the picture that I had, this faded photograph. And one of the ladies looks at the picture and she goes, oh, my gosh, this is me. Who are you guys? So I was able to find my grandfather's house. And uh, it, it, what was really fascinating about it is I was persistent. I went with Ziploc bags because I said, I, this is something I really have to do. And when I found my grandfather's house, in front of it were the fields. I went out into the fields. I scooped up dirt and I brought the dirt home to my father. So he's got part of the village for him. Awesome. <laughs> that is awesome. Wow. Yeah. yeah. I was going to ask that how old that person was that was in the picture say, Hey, this is the house. Oh man. It's like, if you look at the picture, the guy in the picture looks faded. I couldn't even make out who he is, but this old gentleman who's like 80 or 90 years old with no glasses was able to recognize him. And at first, as I write in my journal, it's like, here we go again, like uh, as in, okay, another wild goose chase. And it's like, you know, he, and after we found this village in our house, that old man seemed to have just disappeared. Uh, we don't know where he went off to. He just never stuck around. So it's like, okay, uh, he was instrumental in really helping us find my grandfather's house. Wow, so he was kind of like the guy who fell off a charm bracelet. He <laughs> appeared and then disappeared to go help someone else. That That is outstanding. <laughs> yeah. Actually, it sounds like this could even uh, – we're looking at it potentially. Uh, maybe it could be, even be a screenplay, so we'll have to see. Maybe there's a – bit of a movie that could happen as a result of the story. Sounds like something to go on Netflix or Amazon now. That, that probably make a lot of hits. <laughs> hey, but Rich, if this becomes a movie, I want to have a cameo appearance somewhere in the background. And, um, you know, sort of like Shyamalan in uh, Sixth Sense, you know, you have that little cameo appearance, you know? Definitely. Just like kind of walk through the scene, mm. shake someone's hand. <laughs> Exactly. And hey, Rich, hey, you happen to be in India at the time. Hey, I'm going to tell the producer, this guy, Rich, he has to be in there. Maybe I'll be in a stall making tea and you're the tourist who gets the, the cup of tea. <laughs> I'm the patron sweating, drinking tea. That'd be great. That's it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That's an outstanding journey to, to, to go ahead and uh, 
find your ancestral roots and and write, of course, the book Lost and Found, Seeking yeah. the Path and Finding Yourself. Yeah. So after you did this, did you have a world of relief that you were able to find that, especially for your dad? I mean, because like yeah. you said, he, he wasn't able to make the journey and you actually were able to do it for him. How did he how did he take it when you came back? Oh, man, I think uh, a number of people were weeping because we were able to reconnect uh, to our ancestral roots. And the the people who I met were my grandfather's brother's family. Wow. Yeah. So they were direct related to us. That is, I mean, that's awesome. Yeah. We, in the world we live in now, it's a little easier to trace some of our ancestry. Like my yeah. grandfather came from Italy about the same time your grandfather came from India. About mm. 1905, he came to Sicily, from Sicily to uh, Ellis Island in the United States. Wow. And But they changed their names so many times to get out of Italy and then get into the United States. It's hard to trace exactly where. We just know Sicily or Palermo. So that's part of our uh, bucket list, too, to try to find that village or try and try to find some family there. Well, and the thing I always tell Rich is, uh, you know, because I've had people tell me, well, you know, I I don't know if I could even find it. But, I, you know, I'm, you know, inspired by your story. And I said, look, if for somebody like you, Rich, you go to Sicily, just being in Sicily um, ticks off one of the boxes because you are now in the place where your ancestors come from. Whether you find the house or not, whether you find the village or not, or the town or not, <clears throat> is, um, I mean, that would be amazing, but equally at the same time, it's... Uh, just the fact that you're in the presence of where your ancestors come from, that ticks one box. But then it's a matter of by talking to people, by uh, sharing the stories and things, somebody may say, you know what, this sounds very familiar. And again, this is where I'm glad it wasn't as easy as get off the plane <clears throat> and, uh, you know, you drive to a village and there it is and everybody gathers around. <clears throat> uh, I thrive in ambiguity and uncertainty. So, you know, on the one hand, it would have been a lot easier, the map and uh, just finding the village, but equally, it would never have made a really good story. Uh, so I've always said it's about overcoming obstacles, persistence, and not listening to the noise is something that's emerged out of this book and uh, actually has been part of my life. And it again, it ties back into that whole aspect of entrepreneurship and, uh, you know, sharing that with people. And one of my favorite sayings is obstacles are the necessary bricks on a road to success. So this is where even if, let's say, you make it to Sicily, well, you know, you're in the presence of this. You may not find the village, and that's okay. But I think the, the important part is you're right there. Right. I find Sicily. I find possibly the port that may have been used at that point in time yep. to load the, the residents of Italy onto the ships to come to Yep. the new world or the United States at that time. Yeah. Uh, that'd be all great. It, I'd probably have chills and my hair would stand up. My The hairs I have left would stand up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. And I mean, that's where you can get uh, through Ancestry or 23andMe, some of the records. And I mean, I, I did my DNA testing and uh, the records for people from India or Fiji is very limited, but there's, uh, but one thing I did find is, you, you know, the the ship's logs were pretty accurate. So even if you look at different ports and maybe able to trace some, it's about a, you know, a bit of uh, background checking and uh, things. You may actually find the ship that uh, they actually traveled on. 
And, uh, you know, maybe there's some way, but even just getting to know the ship that they were on and what port they left. I mean, all of this stuff is just uh, fascinating stuff. Yeah, I believe it. That's an awesome uh, way to find it. We went to uh, the Metropolitan uh, Library in New York City where they had all the bundles of uh, the volumes of information of all the ships. And me and my wife sat there doing it. It was a pouring day. It was pouring rain out. So we decided to sit in the library while while it's raining. And that's what we did. We kind of fed through that, trying to find names that kind of match the story to go to the ships. Yeah, that, it, was, it was fascinating just seeing the numbers of people and the numbers yeah. of families that came over. That was that was amazing. Well, and and the fascinating part is where every single one of those people who arrived at Ellis Island, and the journey and the lives that emerged out of that, and how they've blossomed and ballooned into different areas of this you know world or United States or even Canada. Uh, each one becomes a story. Yes, it does. And uh, I know a lot uh, A lot went north and uh, went straight north into Canada from Ellis Island because they knew someone that went there before them on a journey before them. Yeah. And then there were some that went south straight to Florida so, yeah. or all the way west to California. So they yeah. spread. They, once they got off them ships, they jumped on trains or trolleys yeah. and took off. And, hey. and they, like you said, they blossomed into this whole new life and new in the new world. Yeah. Well, and it's a typical immigrant thing. I mean, if one person lives in one community that you know, that's where now you suddenly venture out. Like, I'm so glad that my when we left England, uh, there was only one family we knew in Canada. And that person lived in, uh, in North Vancouver, which is this beautiful part we live in. And, you know, I mean, I'm glad it wasn't Winnipeg because Winnipeg minus 46 below zero Celsius and, uh, you know, humidity and heat and everything it's like oh so i'm glad we landed in victoria although when we immig- when we immigrated i was only four years old from england uh i will share with you rich i came on lies and deceit uh my my tricycle was in southampton in england and my parents said oh yeah no it's on the plane and when we get to canada you'll just get it hey rich i'm sorry when i arrived in canada there was no tricycle lies and deceit man lies and deceit <laughs> They got you on the plane, though. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I just said, okay, let's just go back and get my tricycle. And then and then about maybe 10 years, 20 years later, I see a picture of my cousins tearing around Darby Road in Southampton on my tricycle. I'm going like, guys, you jacked my bike. <laughs> you stole my bike and taking pictures. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Show off. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> I know. Yeah. So, yeah, my life is this journey. But uh you know, I think I, what I love is it, it's a conversation, Rich. Definitely. And that's that's what I think everyone has to realize that their life is not it's not supposed to be so structured that they're not having fun. It has to be a no. journey. It has to be a living story, living, breathing story that you have fun in every day. And you should yeah. wake up smiling. Even during the bad days, you still can smile. You got to find the good every day. Oh, man. Yeah. Like uh, I've always said that. In the first book I wrote on storytelling, I said, what's the last story you read? What's the last story you told? But what's the last story you lived? And the key thing is people aren't living their stories the way they should. And uh, it's it's trying to create that awakening of, you know, all of us have a have a story to share. And I try to provide them the tools to to be comfortable sharing. And it goes back to what you've just said is uh my life revolves around what I call an hourglass and an hourglass is very, it's a, it's a mechanism of time, but it's very reflective of my life because you can Google how many days 
you've been on this earth. Uh, you know, it gives you a number. And I think mine was 21,003 days old when I Googled it. If every grain of sand in that hourglass represents a day of my life, I know how many grains of sand are below me. But Rich, how many grains of sand are above me? One, meaning today's my last day, 500, 5,000. We don't know this. All I know is every morning I wake up, a single grain enters this narrow chamber and I add richness to it. In other words, my conversation with you just adds richness to this grain of sand. The things I get to do, the people I get to meet, um, all I know is at the end of the day, it drops below. And I've told myself, I am not going to waste a grain of sand because you never know if it's your last one. And, you know, you can sit in a coffee shop and listen to the people next to you. They're talking ill about someone or they hate their job and all that. What if this was your last grain of sand? And, you know, is this how you want to go out? Not me. So I add, I add richness to my grain of sand. Outstanding. And uh, you don't want to always dwell on the, the bad or the evil or nope. the dark things that people call it. You, gotta, you have to step forward and keep pushing forward. Can't keep falling back. And uh, yeah. that's the way to live, I believe. And I learned that through time. I used to be the, the pessimistic person or the even the negative thinker that mm-hmm. I realized it doesn't get you anywhere. It, you have to no. keep moving forward. You can't dwell on other people's things. You got to dwell on you and yeah. move forward and try to help others. Totally. And, and, you know, the way I look at it is I may not be able to control the situation around me. Like Vancouver gets a lot of rain and a lot of people I sit there listening to complain about the rain. Well, I, no matter how great I am, I can't control the weather, but I can control how I'm going to react to the weather. Uh, you know, and that's it's a mindset that we have to shift to say, instead of letting the situation dictate it, control it and say, you know, here's what's within my control and then work with that. Definitely control control the waves you can control. Otherwise, go for the ride yep. is what I like to say. You're, you're, yep. Unless you're just captain, you just go for the ride. Yeah. No. Uh, so I think you and I are going to have a really great conversation, uh, you know, as it comes. Yes, definitely. This is a this is a great talk. We'll probably have to do this again to catch up on other things. Yep. Uh, and if uh, you ever want to come back on or you just want to chat, I'm here and you have my email, you have my phone number. I'll email you right after this. This yep. is a great conversation. Is there anything you'd like to – any advice you'd like to give the guests before you part on becoming an entrepreneur or even uh, a writer? Yeah. Well, um, what I'd like to share with people sort of as a, as a, some of the key takeaways uh, is from an entrepreneurship standpoint is realize that, you know, you are the brand and that brand is your business and you have to protect both of them. Go forward. And like I said, come up with your five core elements, the five things that you are not willing to compromise that makes up your foundation, because then It helps you to vision the journey and the pathway that you want to go forward on. So that's one piece. The second piece is how we're emerging out of the COVID area and, you know, how we need to care. So that's, you know, having the collaboration, adaptability, resilience, and empathy. If you embrace those, you're going to go in a much more uh, positive way. But don't hesitate to look around at the people who are near you. Uh, and get the support from other businesses or people that can actually help your business and be adaptable. Like think about it from how, if I change this, can I go in this direction and how is this going to impact me? It's almost like playing chess. 
and build that resilience in to say, I'm in this for the long haul. And finally, empathy, which is care and compassion. It's also about building your own personal stories. We're all storytellers. We are all living stories. And going back to my first TEDx speech of Carpe, which is curiosity, appreciation, reflection, perspective, and experience. Those are the five ingredients that you can embrace to build your story. And that helps you to build when you're building a business, an entrepreneurship or business, is your value proposition. Why are you in business? What problem are you solving? And what makes you unique and distinct from the people around you? And if you, it's a matter of talking to people to say, you know, and, and working through it. And one thing I will add is there's this tool that I think is very valuable called Business Model Canvas. And it offers nine segments. And you basically either do it on the floor or on a, on a wall with post-it notes. But the idea is the nine segments are going to help you vision this business because it asks you for things like who are your key partners, key activities, key resources? What's your value proposition? How do you build your customer relationships, channels, and how do people reach you and how do you reach them? Customer segments, who are your customers in segmented areas? And then where are your costs going out and where's your revenue coming in? It's a valuable tool to help vision this business. And the other part I would say is, you know, I'm accessible and available on Places like LinkedIn, people can tap into my website at www.sam-thiara.com, where I've got about 170 blog posts, where with and those are free. So people can actually read and get ideas and thoughts about different uh, areas to maybe support themselves or their business. So those are, and I'm available on Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, uh, all of those places. Awesome. Thanks, uh, thanks, Sam. And I'll add a lot of those links into the show notes so guests, uh, and those listening can actually read it and uh, copy and paste. They don't have to go searching and feel like they're doing a lot of extra work and yes. uh, have an easier day. But yeah. uh, like I said before, it was great having you on here. Your story is amazing. Uh, your tips and tricks have really helped. Uh, well, will help our audience. Well, they've helped me. already. I wrote a lot of them down as we went through this. Sure. And I enjoyed talking to you. I look forward to having you on again in the future. Oh, no, thank you. And like I said, uh, Rich, this has just been a great conversation. And I leave you with one of the quotes that I live by, which is, everyone's life is an autobiography. Make yours worth reading. We're all living an autobiography. We're all writing chapters. Make it interesting. Make it entertaining. Make it engaging. And uh, Rich, you've got a great autobiography yourself, my friend. Thank you. Uh, thanks for sharing everything and have a great day, Sam. That was great chatting with Sam and hearing about his life, his journey, and his passion for helping others to be better. Be sure to pick up a copy of his book, Lost and Found, Seeking the Past and Finding Myself. You will definitely enjoy it. Remember, voting ends on 18th September for the Veteran Podcast Awards. So please head over and cash your vote for the Misfit Nation at www.veteranpodcastawards.com backslash vote. We appreciate you. So you know how we do this. Thanks for taking some of your time to spend with us on the Misfit Nation. Be sure to hit that subscribe button and share the link as much as possible. If you want to, 
please become a supporter. Find someone that you think would like to support us to help carry this on. Thank you. As always, till next time, be humble, stay hungry, and keep hustling. Because we are the Misfit Nation.